0: Let's pray, Heavenly Father, I pray that you take the songs that we've just sung, the words we just heard, and I just ask you take your word, your scripture today, and you move all of us to understand what love really looks like when we love you. May our lives just be a reflection to us of the indicator of how much we really love you by the way that we treat others. So God, I just pray that um, the words of our heart, the commitment of our lives today will be what we just sang. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Thank you that you loved us. And we want to go live out that love, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, if you're new here today, first time you're a guest with us, hey, we are so glad that you're here. We are in the third week of a series that um, we do every year called Four. We change up the talks, but we focus on the same theme. So every year for a few weeks, what we do is we pause to remind ourselves what love looks like what it looks like to really love God. And we discover and remind ourselves every year that what it looks like to love God is reflected by the way that we love others. It's why we pause every year and we, and we say, okay, hey, let's remind ourselves why we do what we do as a church, why we give our time, our resources, why we give our lives to create a church that is for people, to help people understand that God is for them a church that really is all about making it easy for people to connect with God and each other. And as I've told you throughout this series, it's, it's the reason that I'm so passionate about this is because I love the local church and I believe the local church is the hope of the world. If it weren't for the local church, if people sitting in seats going, God, here am I, send me. Man, the world would be a dark place as we heard last week. It's why I've chosen to give my life here. But but the other thing that I've told you that uh, makes me so passionate about this is that churches have such a negative reputation with most people, especially unchurched people in our communities, because churches have a real serious branding problem. Our communities don't see churches as people who love well, but instead are judgmental and condescending and, and diminishing. And you know, that's not the fault of the people outside the church. The problem is, as we said, it lies within the attitudes and the actions of the people who call themselves Christians. So if, as I said, if you're new to RCC today or if you're a first-time guest here today, man, it is a great day for you to be here because I absolutely hope that today's conversation will help you see not only the heart of this church, but the heart of our Father for you. Now, we just believe as a church that those of us who follow Jesus say we follow Jesus we should live and act like Jesus lived and act toward others because what we've said around here for years is we believe that for far too long the church has been known for what it's against instead of who we are for. And that's why every year we collectively, we come together and we say, hey, let's just get better at loving people because the truth has to be reminded us to us that we are called to love. Because it's so much easier said than done. I mean, love, as you know, you experienced it this week. Love is a challenging thing. It always takes a lot of effort. It it costs something. Love requires great sacrifice. As you just heard in the song, it always requires sacrifice. So so the easy thing is, as church people, is just to ignore Jesus' command to love and, and focus on knowledge. Teach me another verse, you know, give me some more information about Scripture versus going and loving those people that are hard and difficult to love. The problem with that approach, at least for those of us who are Christ followers, is we also say we want to love God. And as we just heard in that song, our lives, the way we love others, is really a reflection of our love for each other because Jesus taught us it's impossible to be good at loving God if we're not good at loving one another because they're one and the same. Now, for the past two weeks, what we've done is we've challenged you to be for others by loving and by giving. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. Today, we're going to be focused on the third practice of being for others, and that is being for others through the practice of serving. And to kind of get us started, I I have two questions for you, and I'm going to give you you the easiest question first, and um, then the harder question second. How about that? Let's start with the easiest first. Here's the first question: who, who do you think about most? Like, who do you think about the most? When your mind's spinning, who do you think about the most? And you and I know the answer to that. That's easy, right? You think about you the most. Like everything that happens, it's like, how's this gonna affect me? How's this gonna influence me? Is this gonna be good for me? It's you know, it's like, how do they treat me? It's we all, we think about ourselves the most, right? which makes it a bit challenging for those of us who are followers of Jesus, because Jesus made it very clear that life is not about us. In fact, some years ago, a man wrote a book about how to find purpose in life. And you remember the opening line of the book? It was, what? It's not about you. But that's who we think about the most. That's why many of us are struggling to live out love and find our purpose in life. Now here's the second question, and that is this. Who do you think about least? Like, who do you think about the least? And my guess is, just from my own personal experience in life and conversations with many of you over the years, it's this. It is the people that are the least like you and disconnected from you. Like, we rarely, if ever, think about people that are disconnected or unlike us, unless they've made us angry. But you know, that's not how Jesus said our Heavenly Father thinks. Jesus said that there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angel over one sinner who repents, over one sinner who's wandered away from God, over one person who's lost relationally from their heavenly father than 99 people who have a relationship with God. In other words, God's focus is first and foremost on those who are far, not those of us who are found. Now, that doesn't mean he loves us any less, And that's so counterintuitive to most of our thinking when it comes to church world, but it's the way that we need to focus our way of thinking if we want to follow Jesus well in loving others well and being for others well. So today, we're going to look at another core behavior of people who are for others. And, And here's the behavior, and it's this. Followers of Jesus, they prioritize people far from God. Like people who follow Jesus, they think about people not in church. People who don't have a relationship with God before they think about themselves. Now, I'm just going to tell you, this is so rare in our culture. It is so rare in churches today to find Christians who live and think this way. Because, see, it's so much easier to think about what I like, what I want, what I need, and make it all about me. The gravitational pull of every local church is to focus inward and to keep all the people happy who are already part of the church club. See, that's natural, but it's not biblical. See, when Jesus launched this thing called the church, this movement he called the church, he made it very clear, hey, I'm flinging open the doors and I'm gonna create a movement focused on people who are not yet part of the movement. In fact, here's a little backstory. Jesus' last words to his, his followers before he leaves this earth to go to heaven, they were instructions to go into all the world and let all the people know about the good news that God loves everyone that God is for everyone. But it didn't take long for these early followers of Jesus just to ignore that. I mean, he barely had went back to heaven and they just ignored it. So instead of doing what Jesus said, you know what they did? They stayed right where they were in Jerusalem. Nobody left, nobody moved because Jerusalem was comfortable. See, Jerusalem, it just helped them be surrounded by all the people like them, all the other Jewish people. And and while they knew what Jesus had said, what they really believed was God didn't care about all those impure, unclean Gentiles out there. They they felt like non-Jewish people couldn't really be part of the movement. So early on, I mean, early on, right after Jesus left, the church drifted away from being for everyone. But then after about seven years of Jewish Christians just slamming the door in the face of Gentiles, God had enough. So he orchestrated this unusual series of events to teach Christians to prioritize people far from God. Like even Jesus' closest disciples, they didn't get this right. As a matter of fact, God, as you're gonna see, had to force their hand to get them to be for everyone, to spread this, this message outside of their little bubble. And I'm just telling you, we should be grateful that God forced their hand. Because if God hadn't, we might not be here today. Like if the disciples had had their way, the message of Jesus would have stayed a Jewish message. So here's what God did. Around 40 AD, Peter is in Joppa. And he's staying at the home of a man named Simon the Tanner. So meanwhile, about 32 miles north up the coast is the town of Caesarea. And God's doing some work in the town of Caesarea that Peter couldn't see, and he would not even imagine that it was true. God is working in the heart and the life of a man, a centurion Roman, a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. Now, a little context here is going to help you. See, Caesarea had been taken over by the Romans. They had made it their capital headquarters in Israel. And Cornelius, as I said, he is this Roman soldier who commands this regiment of about 100 Roman soldiers. He's over the occupation. So the Jews, or to the Jews, this guy Cornelius, he's like their enemy. He's their oppressor, which means based upon the way they saw the world, this guy is God's enemy. God's got nothing for this guy. But they were so wrong. Like one day, about three in the afternoon, this angel appears to Cornelius, which absolutely scared him to death. And he tells him, he says, Cornelius, God's been watching you. He knows that you want a relationship with him. So what I want you to do, Cornelius, is I want you to send some of your people to Joppa and I want you to find the home of a guy named Simon the Tanner and tell him, hey, you, there's a guy by the name Peter there that you want to bring back with you. Tell him you, know, he, tell him you want him to come because he knows what you need to know or he, he can tell you what you need to know about God. So Cornelius, what he does is he gets two servants and a soldier. Imagine you're Peter going to see this one day, right? And he gives them instructions and he sends them on their way up to Joppa. Now, if you don't think anything else about the story right now, how likely is it that you think Peter is going to be excited about this invitation from this Roman centurion when the soldier and his, and his servant show up? Yeah, not at all, right? Because see, here's the thing. It was considered unlawful by Jewish religious rules for a Jewish person to even enter the home of a non-Jewish person. So in the meantime, while all this is going on with Cornelius... It's about a day or so journey from Caesarea up to Joppa. So God goes to work on Peter. It's a really interesting story of God showing Peter this vision of unclean things. You ought to read it sometime. And so by the time there's a knock on the door the next day at the house that Peter's staying in, Peter knows, I've got to say yes. But he has no clue what God wants him to do or why God wants him to go. So Peter, he grabs some of his Jewish buddies because he's not about to walk into Gentile country alone Alone, and they go off to Caesarea, right? And when they get there, Cornelius, he goes outside to meet Peter because he doesn't think Peter's gonna come into his home because he understands how Jewish people think about Gentiles. And, and Peter's probably thinking, I'm, I'm sure I wanna go in the house. You know, I, I could get struck down, I could die something. But because here's the thing, Peter's been told his whole life, that he's better, he's morally superior to these Gentiles. So what's he going to do? Well, Luke tells us what he does. Notice this. Luke, our Acts chapter 10, Luke writes these words. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And I can't help but pause here and and ponder a little bit because you got to give Peter some credit because he's there. He's he's at this house, and he knows that God wants him there. But man, can you imagine how uncomfortable Peter is? I mean, he just can't get his preconceived ideas about Gentiles out of his system. So here's what happens. He says to them, you are well aware that I'm breaking the law for Jewish people. Basically what he says, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Implication is I've been living my whole life convinced that you folks are impure and unclean. So I guess I'm going to today stop calling y'all impure and unclean, but you know that's how I feel, right? Because I just said it. But before we read the next part of this, I want you to imagine that you're one of these Gentiles hearing what Peter is saying. Like most of you, you would be posting on Facebook, Jesus failed Peter. Like he's a jerk, right? Like I mean, you, you would be all offended. Like how would you react if somebody's come to your house and go, you know, I just want you to understand. I shouldn't even be here right now with you people because y'all are so unpure and unclean. I mean, there's so much of that I'm holier than you idea oozing out of Peter in this conversation. But it's like he just can't help it because Peter has lived his whole life believing this. And this is just so hard for him to let go of, even after what Jesus did and what Jesus said. But notice what happens in verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask Why? You sent for me? (laughs) I just love Peter's honesty here. I mean, he can't imagine why these impure and unclean people would want to talk to him or hear about God. I can't imagine that. The idea of God wanting a relationship with these Gentile, these impure, unclean people, like it just blows his mind. The idea that God would care about them as much as he cares about the Jewish people that Peter was a part of, it was unbelievable to him. So Cornelius, he tells Peter the whole story of how God told him to send for Peter and how he wanted to know about Jesus. And Peter finally gets it. Notice what he says in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism because we Jewish people have always believed we were God's favorite. I mean, like, Peter's going, look at how we've lived. Look look how we stayed in our little holy huddle and separated from all you impure, unclean people. But now I'm getting it. We've been wrong. And he goes on. He says, but I now realize it is true that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. It's like Peter's having this epiphany kind of moment going, oh yeah, jesus did tell us to go all, the pe- all to all the people group not just the jewish people group and he goes on he says you know the message that god sent to the people of israel announcing the good news of peace through jesus christ who is lord of all and so peter's like saying we, we jews just never thought god would want you people in his family but i guess we were wrong so i'm gonna tell you about jesus And then he tells them everything Jesus did, and he talks about seeing Jesus' death and resurrection and how forgiveness and grace are available through Jesus to everyone. And then the most shocking thing happens. Peter just can't believe it. These people, they all choose to accept and follow Jesus, every one of them. And to top it off, the Holy Spirit is poured out onto these Gentile people in a way that's clearly visible. And Peter and all his Jewish buddies who came with him, they just can't even believe this, but they can't deny it. It doesn't fit into their theology, but it is a clear reality that the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. And so Peter, he baptizes all the people in Cornelius' home. And then Peter stays with them for a few more days. And from that moment on, the early church began to tear down the barriers, separating them from people. People who were far from God. They, they opened up the doors to people who weren't like them, people who were not Jewish. And Peter began to fight to prioritize for people who were far from God so that it would be simple for anyone who wanted to turn to God. Now, here's why this story is so important for us as we wrap up this four series this week. Because here we are 2,000 years later, and there's still a tendency in every church to make it all about insiders and ignore the outsiders. And when we do, what we do is we make it difficult for people to understand who God is and that God is for them. There's still a tendency in all of us to walk away from the messiness and walk away from them and their messiness. There's still a tendency in all of us to be judgmental of other people's sins and hypocritical about our own sin. There's still a tendency in everyone to make it all about us and not care about the people who are not with us yet. There's still this tendency to think that we're better than other people because we've experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God. There's a tendency for church people to live in their own little Christian holy huddle or Christian bubble and bash and criticize everybody who doesn't think and act just like them. And I just want to say something. Creating church experiences just for their own little group and viewing outsiders as a problem to avoid rather than people to love and to serve, that is not what Jesus called us to do. It's not why he died. It's not why he rose again. He gave his life because he believed this. He believes that everybody is invited, everybody's included, and everybody is important. See, Jesus believed that every person you ever lock eyes with is invited to have a relationship with their heavenly father. That person who lives furthest away from you socially or believes furthest from you politically or behaves furthest from you morally has the same invitation to be part of God's family as you do. See, Jesus believed that every person you lock eyes with is included in the payment of his death and his resurrection. He paid the price for their sin just as much as he paid the price for mine and your sin. And Jesus believed that every person that you lock eyes with matters to their heavenly father just as much as you and I do. And as we said in the first week of this series, and we can't, it's hard for us to comprehend this kind of love, but God loves the worst person that has ever lived in the world better than you love the best person in your world. In other words, you never lock eyes with a person who is unfit or unqualified to follow and receive the gift of forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Everybody is invited, everybody is included, everybody is important. And until we as Christ followers begin to treat people as if this is true, people in our communities are going to still wonder if God is for them because they know his followers are not. This means any church that's going to be for others must be a movement that is intentional about prioritizing people far from God above themselves. The voice, the message, the cry of our heart daily has to be, God, fill me so much with your love. Here I am now because I understand your love to go serve. So so if you're with us today and and you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what I hope you walk away from at all of our churches. We hope you walk away understanding we don't want anything from you as a church. We want something for you. We want you to know how much God loves you. We want you to know how important you are to your heavenly Father. He loves you so deeply. He loves you so personally that he's invited you into a personal relationship with him and not just any relationship, so personal and so up close that he's invited you to, call him daddy father he wants you to be part of his family and you can do that because Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sin to offer you the gift of forgiveness and grace now here's the thing if you're a follower of Jesus then here's how this looks practically you can't follow Jesus and live in a Christian huddle or a holy bubble kind of deal no following Jesus means that you lean relationally in the direction of those different than you So let me ask you another question. Here's a third question, and that is this. Who do you spend most of your time with? If you're a church person, I can promise you, you probably spend most of your time with church people. And that's great because the writer of Hebrews says, hey, we need to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching, right? So that's important but we don't do that to the exclusion of the people not in church. So if you don't have an intentional plan on how to build a relationship with people who are different than you, then it's, in, it's impossible to love all the people in your community that Jesus loved. See, to follow Jesus' ways means that you intentionally spend time with people who live and think and act differently than you do. It's the only way that we can truly love the way Jesus loved. Because he loved it leads us to obey Jesus' great command and his great commission, which was to take the gospel to everyone, which means you walk across the room, you walk across the gym, you walk across the street, you walk across the classroom, the office, and you be a friend to a person who is nothing like you, that doesn't think anything like you, that doesn't act anything like you. And don't worry about what all those other church people are going to say. Because see, Jesus never worried about guilt by association, and you shouldn't either as a Christ follower. Like, you can be friends with someone and love someone without condoning all that they do. See, loving doesn't equal approval for everything they do. I mean, think about it. Jesus loved you, and he didn't approve of everything you do. Jesus loved me, and he didn't approve. It says, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for See, when you're following Christ, it doesn't matter if you're criticized for hanging out with people that think and act differently than you. It's okay because you're in good company. Jesus was too. I mean, think about it. Jesus had a reputation for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. By the way, why in the world would you expect someone who is not in a relationship with God to act like they did or were in a relationship with God? I mean, it's just kind of silly thinking on our part. But here's what I want to tell you. Our job is not to change people's behavior and tell them how wrong they are. Our job is to introduce them to Jesus who loves them so much that he paid the price to offer his grace and forgiveness in their life. And I promise you, once they are introduced to Jesus, they understand how much Jesus loves them and they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and his forgiveness and grace in their life. He'll change their heart. And when he changes their heart, that will change their behavior. So here's my question for you today. And that is this, who do you need to lean in and love by serving them? Who do you need to show that God is for them by the way that you're for them through serving them. Like what divide do you need to cross this week? Who, who do you need to have lunch with this week? Like who do, who is someone that you have discreetly or maybe not so discreetly avoided because they're so impure and unclean and you need to sit down and listen to their story? Do you need to serve somebody that Maybe inside you're, you're kind of celebrating the struggles they're having in their life because they're such a sinner. They deserve everything they're getting. Do you need to make some apologies to people that you've hurt or where you've said things because, or in the name, you said them in the name of morality or religion or God or the Bible? But it wasn't loving. Like, who do you need to lean in and love? Who, who do you need to show that God is for them by the way that you're for them? Listen, the, these are the lessons that Peter and the early followers of Jesus had to learn. And they're lessons that we're committed to learning as a church and practicing as well. And we don't always get them right as a church. And it is so easy to get distracted. And here's what I can tell you. Sometimes other Christians, when we focus on like, hey, we're, we're gonna reach more people for Jesus Christ, they're like, yeah, but you need to be equipping the saints. And I tell people, listen, it is in the process of reaching that you get equipped. Like if you just stay in your holy huddle, that you miss a whole component of being equipped and matured. Because when un-Christians or non-Christians ask you uh, uninside inside the box kind of questions, it stretches you and grows you. See, love, it leads us to want everybody to know that God is for them. And I'm just telling you, there's way too much at stake for us not to prioritize people who are far from God. I mean, think about, you, know, you realize what's at stake. I mean, if you were with us at Evening Vision, I shared with you, I said, you know, next year, I mean, we're going to see hundreds of people who walk through the doors of our churches that don't have a relationship with God. We're gonna have people who walk through the doors of our churches who've had a bad experience with church or, or a bad experience with Christian and, and, and they're giving God one last chance. We, we're gonna have people who walk through the doors of our church whose marriages are strained and, and they're looking for help. People who are worried about their kids and, and they don't absolutely don't know what to do. People who are fighting addictions and, and they're about give, to give up the fight. Like people who are carrying enormous guilt from past decisions and regrets and, and they desperately need God's grace and forgiveness ladies who've tried to get their husbands to church and this is the last church they're gonna try Um, and the husband agrees to come. Or parents, and we deal with this all the time on the verge of losing their 16, 17 or 18 year old because they've been so bored in church. Listen, in the next year, those are the people who are gonna show up here and, and, and we'll have most likely one shot to capture their attention, make them feel at home, help them experience love, and point them to Jesus, who loves them at a level that most of us cannot even imagine. For those people, everything is on the line, including their eternity. Everything is riding on the line of whether we choose to prioritize them or not. Like, think about it to Jesus. <laughs> He's looking for them. They're more important than us Christians because they're not part of God's family yet, but we are. They're still searching. And here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to ask you this morning, we sang the songs and we did even a song of reflection. Say, said, God, here I am, send me. So my question is, what will you say to Jesus this morning? God, I'm going to put those people who are far from you before myself, Will you begin to care about them more than you care about your own experience or your own preferences? Will you love them even if you don't agree with them? Will you walk toward their messes and serve them? Like, will you continue to create a place for them? Will you care enough about them to invite them to sit with you on a Sunday? Will you start praying for them this week? Here's what I know. As we begin to understand God's love for us, that's what love leads us to do, because the closer you get to Jesus, the more passionate you are about the people who aren't close to Jesus. See, people who love Jesus, they are for people that are far from God because they want people to know that God is for them. They understand that our leader, our king gave his life for those impure, those unclean people that we talk bad about, negatively about in the community during the week. And it gets back to them. So this week, I just want to challenge you. We all sat through a song and I'm sure many of you are going, yes, God, that's me. Here am I. Send me. Let's go out and serve. Because when we love others through serving, that's when we get up close enough and personal with people for them to experience love. Loving by serving is a way to help people know that we as followers of Jesus are for them. So, Here's our four serve challenge for you today, and that is this. Who do you need to lean in and love by serving them? Like, who do you need to show that you are for them by the way that you serve them? And there's several ways that we're going to give you to get up close and personal. I want everybody on all of our campuses, take out your phones if you don't already have them out. And what you want you to do is I want you to go to the RCC app, right? And there's a tab. You might have to refresh it. There's a tab that says for others. Or you can scan the QR code in the seat in front of you and find that same tab. And here's what you're going to find. All of our campus, Bunstown, Chipley, Mariana, you're going to find opportunities to serve in our community. And I want you to look at all those different opportunities and don't think somebody else is going to go do this so I just won't have to show up. In fact, we're not going to babysit you through this this year like we've done in the past where we make it all together. You're going to love enough to reach out to these organizations and set up the time. They've got times and dates where you're going to say, hey, I'm going to come serve. And can you imagine what an organization in your community is going to think when people take the initiative themselves to say, hey, we saw you have some serving dates. We're, We're going to come serve. Can you imagine the testimony that that will be? Like there are opportunities for you to use your gifts and your skills through your hands. You, you can get involved with food pantries through some of our community partners. So, through the next few days, I, I want to challenge you to pray over that list and say, God, which one are we going to do? And here's my challenge to you don't say, Here I am, God, send me, if you're going to just ignore opportunities that God's already put in front of us. So, there, there's a link, there's a registration for people, or maybe there's another organization. But serve. Our communities are only going to understand that God is for them when they understand that people who follow God are for them. So, hey, thank you so much for being a church that's all about this. And I can't wait for you to go out and experience just the amazing outcomes that are going to happen as you lean in and love like our heavenly fathers loved us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. Opportunity to go in our community and just make a difference. Make a difference not because of what we do, but because of the attitude of our heart is one that is an attitude of love because of the love that you've given us through Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. So I just pray that as um, all of us walk out of these buildings today, we're saying, hey, here I am, God, send me. And help us go to the second and third mile so that it costs us some energy and some effort. God, it's so easy for us just to say, well, I'll do something for some family member. Or I'll just do something that I normally do and count that. But God, no, no, no. Help, help us. As you went the extra mile and stepped from heaven to earth to show us your love, help us to be people who take that extra step. So much so, as we talked about last week, that people see our good deeds and they don't thank us. But they go, wow, why would somebody do that? And they connect the dots to the fact that our heavenly father loves them. God, that's the kind of church we want to be. So give us courage, the strength to push through, to not make it about us. Here we are, God. Send us and use us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for being part of the 4 Series. Can't wait for what you're going to experience next week. We'll see you next week. Make sure you bring a friend. Have a great week serving.